We are live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Educator Innovator Hangout on air. I'm your host for today. Uh, I'm Renee Gash. I work with KQED Public Media, as well as the National Writing Project on the Letters to the Next President 2.0 project. So if you're not familiar with Letters to the Next President yet, you definitely should be. It's a great project. Um, designed all around engaging young people ages 13 and 18 to 18 in the upcoming election um, by encouraging them to research and write and create uh, media around issues that matter to them. So we definitely encourage you to sign up for a monthly newsletter at letters2president.org. Uh, and today's discussion is the third in a series of media makes organized by KQED and featured on Educator Innovator. Our first was all about creating video, then we talked about making political art, and today we're talking about infographics, which is very exciting. We've got a fantastic group of speakers with us um, we, who we'll introduce in just a moment, and they'll talk about make uh, tips on getting started on how to make infographics, tips on using them in the classroom, where to find great examples and free resources, etc. Uh, for those of you watching this Hangout live, we encourage you to post thoughts, ideas, questions via our Q&A feature that's embedded in the video player. Um, and we'll also be tweeting live um, questions and resources at the hashtag 2NextPrez with a Z. Again, that's hashtag 2NextPrez with a Z. Um, and after the webinar, we encourage you, youth and teachers to create their own infographics. Whoever you are, we want to see what you're, you're creating. Um, you can tweet us. You can tweet them to us live um, or whenever you create them at 2NextPrez, again, 2NextPrez with a Z. And we're already seeing some really cool stuff being posted up there. So definitely go check it out, um, see what other people are creating, and create your own stuff and send them our way. Um, so let's introduce our panel. We are very lucky to partner with Youth Radio on this webinar. They, kind of, they created a wonderful um, DIY toolkit on infographics that kind of inspired this whole discussion today. Um, so representing Youth Radio, we have Teresa Chin and Soraya Shockley. And uh, Teresa and Soraya, why don't you tell, uh, start us off by telling us a little bit about who you are and how you use infographics. Cool. Um, yeah, thanks for that, Renee. Uh, so I'm Teresa. I'm a producer at Youth Radio. We are a media production company that creates media for outlets like uh, National Public Radio and National Geographic and various other outlets. And as part of our work, we're not just focused on broadcasts. We're trying to get messages about complicated things out um, on various media outlets, including social. And infographics are part of the digital space that we're storytelling in. Um, and Saray and I have worked together co-creating some infographics um, around some important topics, including juvenile justice and politics. Um, and she's pretty cool. Want to introduce yourself, Saraya? Yeah. Uh, my name is Soraya Shockley, and I was a reporter at Youth Radio. Uh, I'm now in college, but um, I'm still thoroughly involved in Youth Radio, and uh, one of my biggest learning experiences was um, the hands-on building of infographics, and I think it can be a really powerful tool for explaining a lot of complicated information in a short, easy-to-read sort of way. Great. Thank you, Teresa and Saraya. We also have, representing the great state of Texas, Janelle and her student, Taylor. Um, do you want to go next and introduce yourselves? Tell us where you're coming from and how you've used infographics. 
Sure. Um, I'm Janelle Bentz. I'm an English One facilitator um, at New Tech Hyatt Coppell. And I love um, to ask my students to create infographics because it's a great way for them to demonstrate their understanding and even create another argument in a way that they're accustomed to seeing on the social media outlets that they consume outside of school. And uh, my name is Taylor Clark, and I'm a junior at New Tech Hyatt Coppell. And I was really introduced to infographics my freshman year in Ms. Spence's class. And from there, I've used them in a ton of the projects we do and stuff outside of school as well. And they've helped me really be able to communicate my ideas and share facts and uh, figures that can make an impact uh, not only in social media, but in my projects in school as well. Very cool. Thank you both so much for joining us. We also have Matthew Green here from KQED. He, I consider Matthew our connoisseur of infographics at KQED. Matthew, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, sure. I'm not sure if I if I totally agree with that, but but very <laughs> generous. Um, uh, so yeah, I run a blog at KQED called The Lowdown, which is um, a news education blog geared towards teachers and students um, to help explain topics in the news. Um, and I do a lot of kind of visual um, projects and analysis, sort of ways to explain complicated news topics um, through visual aids. Uh, so I create a lot of maps. Um, uh, I, I develop comics. Um, so kind of not, I, I don't do a whole lot of traditional infographics, but I sort of using the term infographics loosely, um, I find that, that visual aids um, and, and kind of creative, creative visuals to explain complicated subjects is just a really good uh, way of, of uncovering uh, complex ideas. Great. Thank you so much um, to everyone for joining us. I think we're going to have a great conversation. I don't know about you all, but I feel like I see infographics everywhere, and there's definitely more and more filling my social media feeds. I see them in newspapers, magazines. They're all over TV and viral video. And I think infographics are particularly great because they have a little bit of something for everyone. There's a little art for graphic designers. There's some data graphing for mathematicians. There's a little bit of text for our writers. And they're all rolled up into these really creative, portable packages. Um, so we have a lot to talk about today, but let's start at the beginning. I'm hoping, uh, Teresa and Soraya, you could give us the basics of infographics. Um, tell us what is an infographic and why we should be using them. Great, I'll, I'll hop on this one first. So infographics, it's kind of a, like at Sesame Street, it's like info plus graphics. So it, it's the idea that you can get information, not just numbers, but um, it could be a flow or it could be a process expressed using simple, clean design that's very visual. Um, and I think of it like, have you ever seen that movie Ratatouille, which I've seen way too many times? because it's awesome. It's like when the little rat eats a bite of like a strawberry and like cheese and it's like, wow, it creates something that's more than those two things separately. So I really think of infographics as being additive as storytelling tools, meaning that there's a point to them and they, they create context where there isn't necessarily context with a simple visual illustration or um, a bunch of numbers that someone might throw at you. And you, in your toolkit, you talked about a lot of the various types of infographics. Do you want to go into some of the comparisons between the different types of infographics that we see? Sure. Um, so 
with infographics, you if you go through you know social media or if you look at a lot of new sites, you'll see that um, infographics can look a lot of different ways. So um, in the tool that we put together, you can see that I, I kind of break down a couple of general categories. For example, let's say that you have a complicated process, um, and I can show some examples of what that might look like if I can take over here for a second. So, so for example, um, one infographic that we did uh, a while back around our juvenile justice desk was looking at the cost of being court involved, meaning once you've been arrested as a minor, how do you accumulate bills? So this isn't a set of numbers, it's more of a choose your own adventure process where you start in one place and you can end up a lot of different places. So looking at a flow like this, you can see that you start, you've been arrested, and then there's um, a series of questions that will lead you to different conclusions. Where do you go to await trial? If you go home, you accumulate a bill of $15 a day. If you go to juvenile hall, it's $25 a day. So, and I can't say this is our most elegant infographic, but what this one graphic does is it kind of walks you through um, that process in a way that's different than, say, like reading a 25-page packet um, or having to go and read through an interview that would talk you through it. And even your first impression of, wow, that's complicated, that's a storytelling tool to say that's complicated. Um, a different kind of infographic uh, that you might see would be like something you might see out of an Excel spreadsheet. So this is um, a bar graph you can see, uh, or a pie chart, which are ways that you can kind of get a very general first impression of numbers. This is like a line graph doing a trend saying, huh, that's going down, or look how much higher, that's a lot higher than this thing over here. Uh, or in the case of a pie chart, I can see that right away this is the majority, this is a little bit less than half. It allows me to process numbers in a kind of different way. Oh, there's me. Um, and this infographic, which I'm hoping Saray will talk about, um, this is kind of a little bit of what we call a show me. It's adding graphics like these illustrations to help remind us that numbers stand for something more than just figures, that there are human beings or there's narrative behind infographics. So there's a lot more ones in the tool itself if you want to check it out, but the bottom line is that infographics can be processed, it can be quantitative, it can be qualitative, and increasingly I really think it can be um, also something that it lives in video if you look at an outlet, say like uh, AJ Plus or a lot of um, new videos on your social feed, you might see that uh, you're getting an increasing number of, uh, of videos that are showing like what gummy bears represent super delegates. Um, and that's still a type of infographic, but in a new media space. Yeah, and Soraya, do you want to talk a little bit more about the infographic you created at Youth uh, Radio and, you know, what was your process for going into making that? Sure. I mean, like Teresa said, um, we had a very specific job because what we were trying to tell was a story of people. Um, it's one of the reasons why I chose to use big graphics instead of a lot of numbers or charts. Um, although you did see on the left side that I do actually use a chart. Um, but, you know, the process took a lot of tries. What you see now looks great, 
Um, but it was actually, there's actually, a, if Teresa wants to show, there was yeah. a bunch of drafts um, deciding what telling this sort of almost humanizing story would look like um, in graphics. So I'll walk you through the drafts once Teresa gets them up. Okay, got him. Okay. Um, and this is a piece that was about uh, juvenile incarceration in um, Alameda County. And the, the story is basically about the, the correlation between money going down yet and fights and pepper spray usage and overtime for guards going up. Um, Do you want to start with your first draft? So this is my first draft. Um, to talk about the real nitty-gritty, I actually made all of the little info cards on um, Google Draw. Um, and the first way I wanted to represent it was to show a direct link, which you can see is me trying to show a direct link between um, if you read the, the little header, it says, from 2009 to 2014, Alameda County's juvenile hall um, daily average population fell by a third. That's what the bar graph represents. And I wanted to show a direct link by literally using arrows. One of the things I found um, when learning how to make infographics is that I, I started by going for the literal. Um, but, as you'll see in the next draft, things get a little bit more sophisticated and actually easier to understand. Um, because what we're doing now is saying that, in, instead the first one tries to tell you that there's a link, or tries to show you, sorry, show you that there's a link through arrows, but it doesn't actually tell you what that linkage means, so we added another header which says, but conditions in juvenile hall have gotten worse. And that's what the graphics are actually showing. However, um, one of the important things about making an infographic is understanding how people, uh, how people's minds flow, um, especially if you're trying to show a linear connection. Um, the breakup, the horizontal breakup, was a little harder to understand. So we changed it one more. Well, there's two more. Um, <laughs> and this time, um, we use contrasting colors to tell that same story, um, that same link, um, but instead giving people an easier read by just going vertical. Um, and lastly, we made the transition more stark in comparison. Um, the black and white versus the yellow, which um, I think me and Teresa had this argument when I was when we were when we were talking about this. Uh, yellow seemed too happy when we were talking about um, more fights and more pepper spray usage and more use of restraints. Yellow seemed a little off, um, and that's how we got to our final product. It's it was really this collaborative process of. First, just doodling, me just trying to, we got a bunch of numbers from Alameda County that said this is what was going on, but um, especially being in the business of radio, when you're talking, numbers can really bog down a story. And since Youth Radio makes these great build-outs, 
we were able to, instead of get bogged down in the numbers during a four-minute piece, we were able to tell a story in a short one-page infographic. Um, and it started by me just doodling on Google Draw, trying to fit the numbers somehow into a graphic. Um, and then a collaboration with Teresa and some of our other newsroom, um, uh, some of the other people that work in the newsroom, to really get to a point where if I gave you that graphic, you would know what was happening without any extra explanation. That's what's really important. The takeaway must be clear. Um, because that's what makes it useful on social media and on build-outs, is a clear takeaway. That's great, and I, if everyone gets a chance to actually go to that toolkit and listen to the audio piece and then look at the infographic, you can see how really well the two pieces work together. And just thinking of letters to the next president, we've got a lot of students out there creating media, writing letters, and I'm curious to hear from you, Sarah and Teresa, you know, why do you think infographics are particularly effective for young people as a way to kind of break through the noise and get their voices heard? I think um, we've, we've mentioned it already, um, but the shareability of infographics is especially powerful in the hands of um, young people who are, you know, some of the most active and prolific users of social media. Um, it tells a lot of information in a short period of time, which makes it perfect for a Tumblr post, a Twitter post, a Facebook post, so on and so forth. They also let you connect um, multiple types of learning. It's, it, show, it proves that it doesn't, you don't have to have um, a thousand page or a thousand word article or a four minute radio piece for your voice to be heard. Um, if you can draw and you can uh, put together a pie chart, you can get your point across. Um, it's not necessarily that it's easier, but in a different way. If you're a visual learner like myself, um, then you're able to show that skill um, and share it to a broad audience. Yeah, and just to echo that, I think that it's just natural storytelling to be visual. It's like saying, I caught a giant fish. It was really big. It's supposed to be like, it was this big. Like, you want to be able to see and also have context because infographics are so much about comparing related information that it, it can help you understand the source of important information. It can help you think about, like, what sandwiches together. And I think there's a real need for that in people's information flow. So it's something that young people crave. And young people are really natural at creating. All you really need, you don't even need to have Photoshop or a complicated tool. You can use your, your mobile phone as a camera and take pictures of meals that are five bucks from all the country and say, oh, look, that's really a cool trend that I see. And that is a form of, of graphic that has information of value. I think I'm going to ask this question. Sorry. Oh, go. I, I just also go. wanted to point out that it's really important um, not only to create these infographics for youth to understand, hey, this is one way to tell a story. It's also important for them to create it and go through that process because as they're consuming infographics, they need to realize how data and information can be manipulated. 
And so when they are making their choices in their own infographics to support whichever argument, whichever side they are going to support, they are making choices to leave out certain things. They are making choices to highlight certain studies. And when they do that, they kind of get the idea that, hey, oh, okay, I see. That's one infographic. That's one perspective. That is supporting one argument. And that's the reason why, for me, it's so important to have our kids do this. There's so many times and so many opportunities where we're, when they're creating these infographics for us to say, wait, where did you get that? Wait, is it out of 100? Is it the United States? Is it the world? Tell me where you got that information from. What does it mean? And then they have to revisit it and really, really engage with the text. And so it's really important, yes, to, to produce it, but also to be able to say, hey, if this is happening when I'm creating it, this is also how I am being manipulated by the facts that are being presented to me. And I will say as well, it's one of the reasons I really enjoyed using an infographic as a complementary piece. Because we had all of these numbers and stats from a reputable source, Alameda County um, Corrections, but it is a valuable tool to further that story. Um, and sourcing is, of course, one of the most important things. But again, that's why having an infographic as a complementary tool can also work really nicely. It gives you, again, that powerful punch in a shorter amount of time. But you can also go back and question and dig further if it's properly sourced. Yeah, and just to jump in, Janelle, I think you're so right because if I've seen infographics where they don't even tell you the source, which is just pretty much like just throw that thing away. It's not worth anything. I don't know. Have you thought of any um, like really bad infographics or like misleading ones that you can think of? I love I love the bad examples too. Well, I think that I think the point is is like it doesn't really matter how credible the source is because based on what your argument is, you can pull whatever you want from that source and kind of make it prove your point. I think that that's kind of an interesting thing to do with infographics and when you're creating is like, oh, well, they got them all from the same source, but look how they're reading. Look look what they are using to prove their point. Um, so I, th I think that's it's good to, to show our learners. And I don't know, Taylor, did you find that as you were creating things? Yeah, definitely. So especially when we were making so many infographics in your class, uh, there's always, you want to go to a credible source, you want to find sources that have information that's going to be useful to your topic. So like when we would do our Do Now discussions on KQED, uh, you have to pick a side for your argument, but through your research you can pretty much find facts to back up whichever side you take. It's about how you present it, um, but there are always going to be facts that support each side. Yeah, that's the tricky thing about this business, isn't it? It's like stats can be so great at showing context and, and truth, but it also can be great to, there's so even to manipulate, you know, it, you can kind of make it say a little bit of what you want. I feel like that's a big challenge in creating and teaching and ingesting this stuff. And um, that's like a media literacy lesson entrenched in data of its own. And I, I'd love to know how people have handled that. Um, Stats is such a philosophy, it's just like mind-blowing when it comes to stuff. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, Teresa, yeah. if you could pull up uh, the 538 yeah. infographic really fast. This is a good example in my mind of, um, of, again, though, 
getting making sure your graphics are deeper because what I will say about infographics is that it's just another argumentative tool. If you'll scroll down until you see the list of all of the stats. Yeah, so that's your infographic. Keep going, it'll it'll show up. Um, yeah, this is it. Okay, so um, what 538 does, which is Nate Silver's um, stats blog, basically, it's transitioned to sports, but he has some really great politics um, articles in there. Um, he has all of his stats laid out, so if you're a real stat head, you can go ahead and look at all of those. Um, but infographics are just another argumentative tool, which you have to be careful about. It's just like writing an essay. Mm -hmm. If you're going to write an essay and take a side, um, most English teachers or most English teachers I, w I know will also tell you to at least acknowledge um, will at least acknowledge the other side. The thing that is sometimes hard about infographics is they don't always do that. You're arguing one side. However, what how Nate Silver combats that and how um, a lot of other people combat that is giving raw data as well, so you can come to your own conclusions if you wish to do that. Um, so yeah, as Teresa's showing, there's just a trove. <laughs> um, and he does that for almost all of his infographics. Wait, is the infographic up here? Okay, I see. Yeah. This is like the actual... And if you go all, all the way back up, this is the most simplified version. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and so this is a graphic about um, swing states during the upcoming election. Um, and you could just look at this if you wanted to, but if you want to go deep into the data, go for it. Like literally scroll into the raw yeah. stuff. Yeah, and I'm wondering here if we can toss it to Matthew, because I know, Matthew, you had some really great points in terms of, you know, what you go out and look for in a good infographic. What do you make sure is credible? And then also, like, you named a few sources that um, people could start at for finding good, credible data, um, but then also kind of how to think about that data and really assess or vet if it's going to be useful to making your point. And you might be on mute, Matthew. <laughs> Sorry, can you hear me now? Yep. Okay. Um, I, I want to echo Janelle's point that um, whatever data source you're looking at, whether you've determined it's credible or not, there's always you know ways to manipulate that data. Um, so it's something definitely to look out for, both as a consumer of infographics and as a as a creator in terms of what you what you choose to select to to feature and to illustrate. Um, but um, I'm always, one of the first things I always look at when I see, I, I think infographics can be very tan, like tantalizing. Um, you know, often there's, you know, they're, it's not, you don't have to look hard to find a beautiful uh, infographic. There's, you know, there's so many out there. Um, and it's easy to just kind of get sucked into the, uh, to, you know, just the, the graphical beauty of them, um, um, and they can be, I think, very alluring. Um, but the first thing I always look at is just where, you know, I, I look for sources, and um, like Teresa said, if, if there's not um, a source listed, that's that's kind of a done deal. Um, and, and then I look at what the sources are, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm very... Um, um, I'm sorry, I have a 
four-month-old daughter who is screaming in the background, so <laughs> apologize for that. Um, um, you know, I, I try to determine pretty quickly whether the infographic is a piece of advocacy or an activism or whether it's presented objectively. Um, and, you know, just because it's advocacy or activism doesn't mean it's not, it's not good, it's not worth reading. But, um, you know, for my purposes um, as a journalist, um, I'm wary of solely relying on information presented by um, a source that has a specific agenda, um, regardless of whether I personally agree with that agenda or not. So, um, you know, sources I look for, I try to look for at least theoretically neutral sources. So um, uh, a lot of um, um, government-related sources, um, I, I, I pull a lot of my data uh, from, from census records, um, uh, from, um, you know, the, like the Bureau of Labor Statistics, from um, different um, criminal justice agencies. And again, those sources aren't necessarily completely uh, free of bias either, um, but they are at least presented in a, in, a balanced, um, in a balanced format, and it's a way to kind of ensure that the information, or to kind of as, as much as possible ensure that the information is uh, presented as is rather than um, just a piece of it. Um, so I guess that's the that's sort of the first the first kind of step I check for. And what was the, the Renee? What was the second part of your question? Well, I know you have some examples you show us. Do you want to give us some sure. some infographics that are your favorites? Yeah. Um, so these are just a couple. I'm not sure if these are my dairy favorites, but these are just uh, a handful that I pulled up. Um, and as I said in my introduction, I kind of like, for me, infographics is pretty loosely defined. I think a lot of people think of inf infographics as like the standard like icon uh, diagram. Um, and I've sort of, ex like I, I call a lot of things infographics, so I'll sort of show you some of the things that um, I've, I've developed um, or worked with um, other artists and journalists to develop, so let me see if this works. Um, okay, let, give a shout if you're not seeing the screen change. Um, everybody see the graphic that says police. Is that anybody? <laughs> not yet. Okay, so how about I'm hitting the screen share. Um, oh, there it is. Okay. Um, sorry. Okay, there it goes. All right, let's try that again. Okay, can you see it now? Yep. Is that coming? Okay, great. Um, so this is um, I work with a cartoonist. Um, he's a he's a um, comic artist and cartoonist. Um, and we develop scripts together, and then he draws basically a cartoon version of stories. Um, and, you know, I, I call this an infographic just because it's, you know, it's not that what the standard definition is, but um, it, I think it does a really good job at graphically representing a story. It's this, this I developed after, um, after Ferguson in 2014 about, um, you know, what are your rights and responsibilities when pulled over. Um, by the police, um, and you know, it involves interviews. It involves um, 
information that we've gathered. Um, this one is not as statistically heavy. Um, whoops, sorry. Um, is a lot more, it's kind of a cost-benefit analysis of whether going to college is, is really worth it given the, you know, the cost and the, and the potential debt. Um, and, um, you know, we looked at um, a lot of figures and sources, um, everything from, you know, Bureau of Labor Statistics to the um, Department of Education, um, and we kind of, like, made, the, made, sort of walked the reader through some of the considerations in terms of you know, is it is it really worth taking that, having that risk? Um, uh, some other things that I call infographics, you might disagree in terms of the terminology, but you know, are just simple maps, um, simple interactive maps, and a lot of the a lot of the tools I develop are based on open source um, platforms, so they're a lot of free, um, pretty easy to use, very little tech knowledge required. Um, platforms that are that are out there. Um, uh, this is a, a mapping program called CartoDB, and basically lets you just create simple maps. So I wanted to just show um, you know a, a map of the primaries and caucuses that have taken place so far, um, and when when the next ones are coming up, and who's won the ones that have already happened. So it just kind of gives you a quick um, way to. Uh, find that information, um, and you can click on each link and see, you know, who won that state. So just like a really easy, basic, you know, something that you would essentially look for in a news article, but that you can kind of interact with and um, find out the information that So, Matthew, I think your audio is breaking up a bit. Does anyone else hear that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. How about if you stop screen sharing, it might help a little bit. And I know we also have some really great examples from Janelle and Taylor's class. Um, of student-produced work, which I think is really great to look at, too, because I think these are as professional as anything we see out um, on the web today. So, Eliana, do you want to bounce to some examples from Janelle's class? And maybe, Janelle, you could walk us through kind of what the project was. Um, sure. We'd love to hear from uh, Taylor, too, about what her experiences were. I think, and I don't, I don't remember because the do nows change, and so the media that we are asked to make changes. But um, I guess the first one I'll go over is maybe the one about from Mexico. That was not really taking any side of an argument, but we have a global issue summit every year, and they have to do research on um, just to get to know the overview. And everyone had every each group has a country that they have to represent, and so um, they create infographics. Um, showing that knowledge. I'll be quiet and maybe will that show up? I don't know. Is it showing on the screen? Okay. Well, <laughs> it looks yeah. good. Okay. So um, anyway, so that 
is obviously Mexico and their challenge to uh, create information that's easy for everyone to look at at a glance so they can know like okay well this is the religion this is the primary language this is uh, you know uh, life expectancy all that kind of stuff um, and they can pass this around quickly to the other groups in the other countries so they can say wait is that consistent or not consistent with really who your country is as far as what kind of policy changes and things like that they're trying to make in um, during the summit. So that is what probably the first uh, real infographic that they get to make. It's not really stating an argument or taking a side per se of any um, particular topic but it is a general informational one and so I know that we got a question about how to get seventh graders started in infographics. So this most of the information for this was from the CIA um, Factbook, but this is a great kind of introduction to say, hey, this is your information that you've had on a particular country, etc. Um, why don't we see if you can demonstrate your understanding of what you read graphically and look for this type of information and why that information might be important. Um, so maybe that's something that um, middle schoolers could do. Uh, this is kind of like a, one of the more final drafts and uh, took a lot of iterations, color suggestions, organization, um, to get them thinking about images that would symbolize certain things so there would be less text um, and more focused on the graphic to really say, convey the meaning of that statistic um, is sometimes a challenging thing. Um, some learners will get it quicker than others, but we do this probably in October-ish. Um, and so starting from October, it's a great thing for some kids to latch on to so they know that, hey, I have talent to that and it's something they can rely on throughout the year as kind of like, oh, no, I can do this. I can make an infographic. Um, so that's one of the projects that we do. Um, and then Taylor can talk about hers was specific um, for, and she, they, we actually had to do research for this, but she can talk about that the infographic that she made. So the infographic I did was specific to a youth and politics survey, which was sent out to everybody who was participating in the infographic competition. And so everybody who was creating infographics took the survey, and then uh, an overview of all of the statistics was sent out for us to actually create them. So that was the statistics on there was only pulled from that survey, and so there wasn't really any research I had to do beyond that. But, of course, if you're doing this in a classroom setting, you're going to want to use um, different sources, and you may not always have access to a specific survey for your infographic. But um, from there, I really just took the survey, and there, were, there was a lot of information on there that was definitely important, but obviously not everything can fit on the infographic. You have a set amount of space. And so it was really important to pick the things that portrayed the overall feeling of the survey, um, the most important things, and that can be something that's kind of difficult to do, especially I see other students and myself kind of struggling to figure out which things are going to help your argument, uh, which things are the most important, and what tells the story that you're trying to get across. And so that's basically what I did there, and then from there, um, kind of like Ms. Benz was talking about, finding things that can symbolize the information and make it easy to understand without making it super wordy. That's something else that I see uh, myself and other students struggle with is 
uh, we tend to want to put a lot of words on the infographic because uh, before that, that's what we were used to portraying information as. And so that was kind of a big learning thing is finding the visuals and the graphics that can uh, display your information easily. Taylor, what did you use to make this? So I used uh, primarily Photoshop, uh, a little bit of Illustrator too. That's what I prefer to use, but I know not everybody has access to those tools, so there's a lot of online things that you can use, programs that are similar to Photoshop and Illustrator, but also um, I know some people do like to use ones that are specific to making infographics. But I really do prefer uh, Photoshop and Illustrator if you have access to it, just because you can make them so original, and uh, those skills that I've learned from Photoshop and Illustrator have translated into my other classes, and uh, they've really been able to help me create some awesome final products for other classes and outside of school projects. Can I ask? I, uh, oh, sorry. I was going to say that it was. It's really interesting because we did offer them up, you know, like visually and um, oh gosh, picture chart and other more drag and drop um, programs to help them create infographics. Um, but so many of them just chose to wrestle with. Uh, actually using Illustrator and Photoshop, mm -hmm. which I was like, okay, that's fine, that's fine. Uh, but that is not my skill set. Um, I'm slowly learning. Every year I'll pick up like a new skill. But the great thing is, is that the learners now will see, oh, well, this was created by Visually. This was created by, you know, Illustrator and Photoshop. And when they see what the kids have actually drawn by hand with Photoshop and Illustrator, they become very... Um, very excited about, wow, look at that, look what they did, and so they become very motivated to learn. That not being my skill set, wonderful learners like Taylor have come in <laughs> to teach workshops. Um, and so maybe you can kind of talk about what that's like, Taylor, to teach the workshops to the kids you don't really know. <laughs> yeah, so um, this year, and I think a little bit last year as well, we actually came in for the, uh, I believe it was the Global Issue Summit project, and we mm -hmm. taught a workshop on how to really just get started on Illustrator and make an infographic. And so um, we basically just sat down and showed them like really the basics, how to open Illustrator, how to start a document, the kind of dimensions you want to use. Uh, these are the tools that you can use in terms of making shapes and doing your visuals, and then also how to take images and resources from the internet and create that into a vector image for Photoshop and Illustrator. And so those were kind of the skills that we taught in the workshop. But also a lot of students get overwhelmed with just where to start. You have so much information, especially if it's your first time making an infographic. How do I put it into this format? How do I make it to display the information and support my argument? And so kind of what I recommend whenever somebody asks me is, especially if you're new to making infographics, is to just break up your space first and then almost plug in your information because I find that that makes it a lot easier to organize and also less overwhelming, especially for freshmen who uh, don't have experience with it. And so those are kind of my main advice and tips. One thing I'm wondering, Taylor, Maybe you can speak to this because I noticed on your infographic you have a pie chart mm -hmm. that looks mathematically accurate. And I think this is something that I've seen our journalists struggle with. And when as teachers we want to create pretty things and we have well-sourced mm -hmm. things. But 
you want to have mathematically accurate visuals too because that's part of the point. How did, did you like make that in Excel and then put it in Photoshop and like kind of go over it in your design or how did you ensure that when you're making something like a pie chart in Photoshop which doesn't have a tool for that? Um, and then Soraya, I know she also, I saw her doing this in Google Draw. She had, I don't recommend necessarily the way you started doing it. Soraya, that was crazy, but Taylor, can you kind of start and tell us about that? Yeah, so that's actually pretty much exactly what I did. Um, I created some charts in Excel or uh, Google Spreadsheets, but those don't always look the prettiest, and so um, I took those and then created my one in Photoshop based off of that to try and make it as accurate as possible. Soraya, you were doing something crazy when we looked at your first draft. Yeah. Sorry to call you out, but you were. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, my my skills were never, uh, <laughs> were never, was never graphing. Um, I really wanted to do the drawing portion of uh, an infographic. So I was trying to figure out how to make a graph on Google Draw since it doesn't have a tool for that. So I literally made bars on a <laughs> bar graph to signify a certain amount of people and then I literally measured out with their um, ruler tool spaces in between and oh god it was a mess. Um, it, it was basically to uh, it worked. It totally it worked. worked. Like, it we checked work. it. it was, it's the least efficient way to make a bar graph though. Um, don't try that. Uh, just use Excel. That's a great method. Um, but I will say about like ways to start a graph or ways to start a graphic since I was new, my first graphic um, professionally at least was the one that Teresa and I showed you at the beginning. Um, the way I started it was by taking the information I was given and saying, okay, Forgetting the numbers, how could I just visually depict what it is? Which is something that um, I know um, you guys were talking about with your Mexico infographic, um, so that you use less words, right? You don't have to say, this is a pepper can sp spraying. You just have to say, uh, you just have to show it. Um, and that was, that's one of the reasons why I love infographics, because for learners specifically, is because it allowed me as a learner to do something different, not use words. Um, and obviously the graphing wasn't my forte, but it also forced me to figure out and um, innovate, like, um, like you were talking about on um, Illustrator, figure out ways to to make things. Even if you don't have the skills yet, I highly recommend it because um, the process in and of itself is a learning experience and can be really fun if you let it be. That's definitely my recommend recommendation. Just try then get a second pair of eyes on it. I, I, I have to agree with that. Like I cannot tell you how much more confidence I see the kids having when they're struggling and have to like literally they like wheel up to my desk like every time. What about this? What about this? What about this? I'm like, okay, yeah, it's getting there. And then when they see the before and after, just like I was so happy that you saved those drafts because I was like, oh, my gosh, look at her, like, first draft to her last draft. You're like, I can do that. Um, it's an incredible lesson on really revising and the importance of iteration and the value of feedback and getting several eyes to look at a piece of work. Uh, I love that. But then also it's so great for me as a facilitator 
to be like, I'm not my thing, but I'm going to go ahead and pass it on. Like, I understand that it's not my thing, and I understand this is still a skill that you need to learn. So let me go ahead and, you know, let a learner step in the role of that facilitator. That's really reassuring to the kids, and it's really validating to them that the media that they're consuming is a valid it, it has its role and its purpose in an academic setting. Um, so I agree. There's so many affordances to including this as, you know, part of our, you know, argumentation, defense, and, and just really demonstrating knowledge of any written text. So. And I love that we're talking about um, free tools in this last part because we've had a couple of questions come in over the Twitter chat. We've got about um, five minutes left here. If anyone else has any more questions, please feel free to post them on the Twitter chat or use the embedded Q&A feature here. But I'm hoping to kind of ask everyone here if you want to do a shout out of some of your favorite tools um, used in creating infographics. And I know we've mentioned already you know, Adobe Photoshop, Google Draw. Google Spreadsheets in Excel. Uh, we talked about, um, oh, I lost them all. Um, let's see, let's just toss it out. Any other great, uh, Pictograph was mentioned. Pictochart. Any other great sources out there? Pictochart. Pictochart easily. Easily is yeah. a great one. Canva's a really good Yeah, Canva. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can actually, I have that one up if I can show it really quick. Just, um, sure. Yeah, one thing I really like, um, I do not work for Canva. This is not a Canva <laughs> But um, one thing I really like about Canva in terms of um, kind of cutting down the amount of time. So this is, I've already logged into Canva. And you see that there are, there are templates that you can point to. And one of those templates actually is an infographic. Um, one thing I find that can really slow down the process of doing infographics, especially with um, folks who are just starting out with them, is like you spend so much time on like, what colors do I want, or what's the what's the font I want, because the design is such a big part of the the narrative and the, the story um, that draws the attention. And I like Canva or any of these ones that kind of have pre-populated designs, because then you can really have more fun spending time like on the sourcing. Um, on things like getting the, the graphics mathematically accurate and um, making sure it's simple. But I will say that um, a lot of these free resources, I'm wondering how other people have handled this. When you look at your elements and you have like charts or something, it's really hard to find like anything beyond like 50% or 75%. You can't find those mathematically accurate drawings, which is why Taylor, I was asking how you handle that because it's, it's really a challenge to make sure that you have something that you're not just like slapping numbers on. Um, it has to actually make sense for the data. And because we have this question on Twitter, do you know if that comes in an iPad app or, um, let's see, Taylor, you were using Adobe Photoshop on your, on your school laptop, right? You weren't using that as an iPad app? Yes. I think they do have versions for the app, but I don't think they're full versions. Um, mm -hmm. I use the version on my laptop. I will say another site that we use is um, Color Lovers. 
color C O L O U R lovers because a lot of kids will get really excited about color and wow it's really distracting and your eyes darting eight million different places but color lovers actually has color templates and they're like updated and things like that and we're like well why don't you use that palette so they're limited on the number of colors and some people just they have they may have design they may be able to draw but may not have that color sense and so that's something that's really helped them in picking and choosing colors that are updated. Yeah, and I would say uh, for iPad, the um, you can use something like a bamboo, or if you have like a template where you have a stylus, and you can do some really cool. It's like what Matthew, what you were showing. It doesn't have to be a chart. It doesn't have to be your traditional like mathematical infographics. Um, we did one of the very earliest ones that I did. I'm screen sharing everything right now. Um, that I'm not super. I'm not saying this is a great infographic, but I remember doing this one when I first got to Youth Radio. That's political themed, where we just looked at um, what new voters might look like. We went to Circle, which has a lot of young um, young voter data, and found some demographic information. And then I worked with a student to just like sketch out the combined traits, like about Democrats. Um, or Republicans who are first-time voters, and we just sketch it out on using a stylus, and that was, it's a different kind of infographic. You can argue that there's some bias in terms of putting together things that aren't necessarily related in terms of all these characteristics, but you can create visually compelling um, flows, at least something that's a con conversation piece using not much more than a piece of paper or a stylus and, uh, and go from there. Yeah, and I'll mention too, we are tweeting out a lot of these sources, so um, you can check out that live Twitter feed at 2NextPres, um, and we'll have a bunch of links up there. We did have one question, if these, if these platforms are commonly available for easy download by my kids in the computer lab. A lot of these um, tools are web-based, correct? So there wouldn't necessarily need to be a download, but you might want to check with your you know, IT team to make sure they're you know, um, available through your, your, you know, your school's firewalls and all of that good stuff. Did you run into any of that experience, any experiences like that of accessibility? No. Sorry. <laughs> We've been yeah, pretty lucky that way. And widely available. So, um, and I know one other thing, Matthew, you mentioned too, was making sure the actual graphics that are used in infographics are um, of, you know, in the public domain, they're not copyrighted by any, anyone, you know, they're maybe um, designated as Creative Commons, so um, I just wanted to bring up that point as well. Um, do you have any kind of recommendations for where to find graphics that people could use or what to look for for graphics? Um, yeah, so what one source I use is a, a pro, uh, something called the Noun Project. Um, um, N-O-U-N project, um, and they have, it's all black and white, so you're not going to get a lot of, um, uh, you're not going to get any, like, colorful stuff, but um, they have just lots of icons, and as long as you reference, um, they have they have their sort of rules for use on their site, but pretty much as long as you reference who the artist is, um, you can use their things for free, and they just, they're just really elegant looking and simple and um, good for um, driving home. That's a you know, good point. So that's that's one source. Um, I uh, I can't you know off the top of my head I can't think of 
um, that much. One one other site I use, not so much for images, um, but for kind of uh, Teresa, you're talking about um, um, uh, accurate graph uh, uh, chart representations, um, pie charts, and such. Uh, there's a site called Infogram, um, and it's like it, it's the word in or the made-up word infogram. It's .am is the uh, URL, and uh, so it's like infogr.am. Um, and it's you know it has some shortcomings, but it's it is a good way of graphically representing um, a lot of different numbers. So yeah, sounds like we should just hire Taylor to like teach Illustrator workshop. <laughs> That's a good way yeah. to do it too. Do it, Taylor. Do it. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> well, I know we're running out of time here, and I just want to thank everyone so much for offering their, their wisdom and their ideas, and you've got um, all the basics around infographics, we've got examples of how it's been used in the classroom, examples of how it's used in journalism, you've got tools and resources you can use, so I think we've um, done a good job of getting people started along this path of infographics. Remember, we definitely want to hear, uh, see what you're creating, what your students are creating, so you please tweet them to us at 2NextPrize, with a Z, um, on Twitter. Um, just a few other housekeeping notes here. Um, if you want to sign up to learn more about these Educator Innovator webinars, you can go to the website and sign up for the newsletter. Of course, you can also sign up for Letters to the Next President um, at 2NextPresident um, and get the monthly emails there. Um, and there will be lots more webinars like this um, throughout the summer and the fall, so we definitely encourage you to keep uh, participating. Um, and I just want to give one more thanks to Janelle and Matthew, um, Soraya, Taylor, and Teresa for joining us today and contributing all their knowledge. So I think with that, it's a wrap. Bye. Thank you.